0: If you didn't realize, we're going to talk about or enter in, jump into a new book today. It's the book of 1 Thessalonians, and it is a wonderful little book. And I believe you're in for a treat because it is positive and encouraging, packed full of hope. Does that sound good? I mean, given today's current affairs of the world, does that sound good? Who needs more positivity? (laughs) God's Word has that for us. I'm excited about 1 Thessalonians. It's a great little book. The background to this book, if you haven't read about it, you find it in Acts chapter 17. Um, There we pick up Paul along with his two compadres, Silas and Timothy. They founded this church in Thessalonica on their second missionary journey through this area. You may remember they were just so shamefully treated in Philippi. Remember that? When they finally let them go, right? They traveled some 50 miles to the west, to northern Greece, to a town called Thessalonica. And it's a it's a town, very few New Testament towns that you cities are thriving today. This is one of them. You can go to Greece and and visit Thessalonica. They were there, Paul said he was there for. Three weeks, maybe five weeks, some people say. It says he, as it was his custom, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews for three Sabbaths. So he only taught for three weeks in this church. And the Jews, if you want to get a Jew riled up, especially in those days, and even today, start talking about Jesus being the Messiah. <laughs> like, you killed the Messiah. <laughs> those are fighting words to Jews. So if you remember the story, they whipped up a mob, Right? in Thessalonica. They got a bunch of ruffians together, and they took their host, Jason, the guy that we're staying with, and held him accountable for what Paul was doing. It was a mess. So the brethren got them out of town. (laughs) Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they took off, and they went down to Berea. Remember that? Interesting thing. Paul did the same thing. He started preaching in the synagogues. Well, guess what? The Jewish mob followed him down (laughs) to Berea and it started getting ugly again. So this time, the brethren took Paul by himself, right? Got a boat and sent him off to Athens all by himself, left Timothy and Silas to strengthen that church there in Berea. Paul stayed there for a short amount of time, ended up in Corinth, where he sits down to pen this letter to the believers at Thessalonica, this young Fledgling little church that he started was only worth work was only with about three weeks, five weeks maybe. He wrote him a letter back because he heard about how they were doing and they were new Christians and he wanted to talk to them. Pulled away from them prematurely, he thought. I'm, I want to see how these guys are doing. And when he heard, he wrote this wonderful letter back to them. And as he writes that letter look how he addresses them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Because this verse sets the tone to this whole book. And yet I say, it might change our perspective on how we read this book. And maybe it might even be a perspective that we take when we study all of the New Testament. Check it out. Paul, Silas, and Timothy To the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see the dual address? Anybody check that out? Hey, I know you guys are in this region in northern Greece. I know because I lived with you a couple of weeks, right? I've been there. But where you're really at is in Jesus Christ. Where you're really at is in God, the Father, You see, he addresses him them them geographically, but he also addresses them even more importantly spiritually. You guys are in an outpost, and I've been there, but I want to set the tone because I'm going to start talking about spiritual, deep things that you're doing well in, and I want you to know who you are. You're Thessalonians. But you're children of God and you are in him spiritually. In that position, you have a privileged place. That's what he's trying to drive home to you and I today. So listen to me. You Josephine County Jokos, I call them. You Jokos, You're in Jesus Christ. And you're in God the Father. And that's a blessing. And I want us to have that wrapped around our brain as we go through nine short verses. What do you think? Sound good to you? Check it out. Let's read let's read some verses. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, amen. For we know brethren loved by God that he has chosen you because of our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power in the holy spirit and with all full conviction you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake and you became imitators of us and of the lord for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the holy spirit so that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and you wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come hallelujah those are some good verses that sounds pretty good to me and I don't know if you caught it but these guys were living the Christian life authentically because they were using their faith their hope and their love it had moved them these are changed people they were using their faith it was causing them to work to move in a certain trajectory of their life they were loving so much that they were in much affliction and they had this hope that kept them keeping on they had endurance of hope Those are gems. If you want a little litmus test, you want an example to follow, if you want to know if you're maturing as a Christian and living the true, authentic Christian life, check it out. You might want to take a look at how you're using God's faith he gave you, how you're using and loving people, and how you're hopeful. (laughs) In today's day and age, can we just say how to hope? That we have a certain future that should keep us Hanging on, right? Have you ever looked at somebody or a group of people and said, they're worth following? They're worth imitating? Yeah? These are some of those people. This is an example that I want to lay out today. And it's sometimes we just need to keep it simple. We're going to go back to the basics with faith, hope, and love. And find out what they were doing, and why Paul was so happy for them, and continual thankful in his prayers for them. You see, we got to keep it simple. We just need to follow a good example. I, mean, I remember one time when I was uh, just starting. I used to be. I used to wrestle, and I, this is a long time ago. Like I couldn't wrestle anything right now, except maybe a hot fudge Sunday or something. <laughs> but I used to be a wrestler. And I remember when I went out of high school and went to college and wrestled at the University of Oregon, I remember I really, really wanted to get to the next level. So much so that after practice, I would ask my coach all the time, hey, what do I got to do? I really want to be an All-American. I really want to do this. I wanna... And I remember that conversation. He didn't say much. He looked at me and said, do you see? It was after practice. He said, see those two guys over there? They were the two returning All-Americans on our team. He said, do what they're doing. <laughs> Just do what they're doing. Follow them. Follow their example. And that's what I think is set before us today. You want to have success in your spiritual life. Let's take a look at what they were doing with their faith, hope, and love. Let's check it out. It should be the outline of this chapter. First thing they were doing, if you caught it, in verse 3, Paul was remembering and being thankful for their work of faith. That's an an interesting term, and we're going to go through a little bit here. Listen to this. They had a faith that set their life on a different trajectory. It was setting their course in a direction that was becoming of what they said they believed in. Does that make sense? Now, before we can understand this phrase, we got to understand and just review faith, right? Remember faith? Hebrews chapter eleven verse one: Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you can't see. Right? Evidence of things you're hoping for. It's those things, those promises God gave us that we're hoping for. It's what gives a handle or substance to that something we can hold, something we can touch. Evidence of things, those things that you can't see. It's the only proof you'll need that is reality and that it's true. Listen, faith is our spiritual eyes, right? Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. That's the definition of faith. That when you take your faith and you direct it at those promises, the things you can't see, the things we're hoping for in Christ, boom, they become real. The things like there's no condemnation in Christ, things like he'll never leave you nor forsake you, those types of things that only becomes real, and you claim those, and you can experience those when you direct your faith at it, and all of a sudden, you, you can't tell me differently. I know, because God gave me this faith through his fruit of his spirit, and bang, it's real, right? The, the light bulb comes on. That's faith. Now, listen, faith is a serious business to God. Did you know that? It's serious business. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says it's impossible to please God without faith. That's why people who know God and understand faith walk by faith. Because seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing the spiritual realm. Amen. That's faith. We got to get faith. We got to also get work. This word work. <laughs> listen. This work word isn't, I'm going to go dig a ditch word. We'll get to that one, but this is, this is our vocation word. It's where we get, in the original, this is where we get our occupation word or our vocational word. It's, it's the fact that it sets you up to define your day. That's what your vocation does, right? It sets you on a certain path, right? It's like the teacher getting up in the morning, Right? with their little I teach mug, getting ready for coffee, right? <laughs> any teachers here? I teach mug. Yeah. Anyways, so they, w- they wake up and they say, honey, I'm going to work, right? It's the same way as the plumber across town, after pulling up his car heart so he doesn't show any crack, says, honey, honey, I'm going to work. It's no different than the accountant on the other side of Medford going, Listen. I have my briefcase, and I look real tidy. Honey, I'm going to work, right? This is what I know about teachers. They teach. As I know about plumbers, they plumb. And what I know about accountants is they count things. You see, that's the idea. Their occupation, if they're doing it correctly, (laughs) sets them and defines their day. That's this work word here. It sets them in a specific direction. It determines their conduct. Our faith should work, right? It should set our lives on a certain trajectory. That's all it's saying. It should work. And according to James chapter 2, if it doesn't, it's dead. Now, that doesn't mean you lose your faith. It just means it's rendered inoperable. Whether you like it or not, faith cannot be seen. It's a spiritual thing. It can only be seen by what it produces. So when someone says he has a strong faith or she has a strong faith, what they mean is they saw them in what they believe and they've seen their life do something that's becoming of what they are confessing to believe in, right? That's the idea. It's changing us. It's a life changed. Now, these guys, check out verse 9, We're doing that. Their faith actually worked. It's a novel concept. It's back to the basics. Check it out in verse 9. It says this. They turned from idols to serve the living and true God. So they came to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They placed their faith in that, and they were born again, saved real Christians in Jesus Christ, in God the Father, and that faith compelled them to turn towards God, away from their idols. Amen? They turned from death to life, from darkness to light, from bad to good, from lies to truth to unhealthy and hurtful lifestyles to a wholesome, loving God. They turned towards God. Their faith changed them and defined them. How about us? It's something to think about. Some of us who have been a Christian a long time, We can get a little weary and we can get kind of cute and we can do all sorts of little things, but in the end of the day, we are professing that we have placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that should move our lives in a direction. It should change our trajectory. And I wanna encourage you today To consider if you are a person. It's never too late to be rechanged, right? (laughs) Work of faith. That's an example to follow, amen? The other thing that they did in verse three, you can check it out, they had a labor of love. Oh, they had a love that produced labor and toil, quite literally, blood, sweat, and tears. Now listen, this love isn't any kind of love. And that word is thrown around so cavalierly nowadays. And I suppose it always has. But it kind of gets to me. This is a different kind of love. This is God's love. This is agape love. This is the kind of love that our Lord Jesus Christ ushered in with his life death and burial and resurrection, right? Love is a give and take. Here's what it looks like when you take it. And it's a beautiful verse. Sometimes verses in First Corinthians, I'll read them for you. They're awesome. This is just describing love when you take it. And when you take it, you know you're getting the real deal when it smells like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse four through seven. Love is patient and it's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude and it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but it rejoices with the truth Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. Isn't that awesome to get something like that? Anybody else convicted when you read that? Anybody else convicted when you say, Honey, I love you. (laughs) I don't know if I loved you like that. (laughs) Right? Right? That's how it looks when you take it. But love, when you give it, sometimes can be a little bit more brutal, and it involves you to get a little dirty, and it hurts sometimes. This type of love is a self-sacrificial love that puts the betterment of others before self, even to the point of sacrifice if necessary, amen? This is the type of love that Jesus invented, <laughs> right? Remember John three sixteen, the verse we all learned when we came to Christ? God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth should not perish but have everlasting life. Now we just gloss over that. He gave his only, one of a kind, unique Son, eternal Son of God. He gave that up to death so that we might be better off and be righteous. You want to know how God loves you? You just look at the cross. The other John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how you know love. You want to know how it is? That he laid down his life for you and I. That doesn't sound very fun for the giver. It's Philippians chapter two. That verse, that chapter is some of the best scripture written in the Bible. But about verse six or seven through that little run right there is incredible. It talks about an emptying of the eternal son of God to become a man in the likeness of a man, right? And humbling himself. To the point of death, not only to death, but the death of a cross. Say it isn't so, King Jesus. Yeah, it's so. And he got up on his cross and became sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin became sin, putting us above. He sacrificed so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Given love cost you something. It's about sacrifice, about putting others in front of yourself. And if need be, sacrifice. Labor bleed, sweat. It's going to cost you something. When's the last time I loved like that? That's a question I have for myself. You give to a certain point and you go, I'm not going to hurt myself here. I mean, it was all fun and dandy until I gave out of my excess but now that you're actually cutting into my bank account or my time off it's a different story isn't it we're all guilty of it hmm <laughs> i'm glad jesus did the cross amen come on i know it's wednesday and it's late but aren't you glad that the cross wasn't something that jesus just thought about he did the cross and all that that means, and remember that it would do us all wonders just to see what the love cost him. It was free to us, and it smelled and tasted so good, like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but he was a bloody mess. And he died. And as all this is saying here is there's a laborer involved in genuine love. And it's worth thinking about because love, like faith, can't be seen except what it produces. And these guys, these guys, it says there in verse six, they received the word in much affliction, even in the middle of stiff Christian persecution. Their life was not good. They were laboring one for another. They had a labor of love. And have any of you been loved like that before? By a human being? Oh, I'm sure you have. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. Their money can't buy it. No other religion can provide it. It's genuine self-sacrificial love. You see Jesus in that situation, and that's why it should be a banner over us. It's how they'll know that we're his disciples when we copy Jesus and these believers and have a labor of love. Amen. So it's a challenge for us all when we do it. There's two verses here. There was an effect that happened in this whole region of Greece because they had a labor of love. And it's the same one that'll happen in Josephine County if we do this. Check it out in verse 7 and 8. It says this, So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in these two areas, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. What he's saying there is when you love, genuinely, labor, have a labor of love for one another, you become an outstanding witness of the Lord Jesus Christ so much that you're living the gospel and that it speaks louder than any words can ever echo in any auditorium ever, right? That's what he's saying. You can be a good witness. And guess what? I went to those areas. I didn't even have to talk. Because you were living the gospel. There's a little poem I keep in my Bible because it reminds because I, I talk about the Bible and about biblical concepts and spiritual things. And I want to make sure that I guard myself that my actions line up with my words. Because sometimes, and don't get me wrong, words are very important. They are. I couldn't imagine not hearing the words, I love you, from my wife, from my kids, from my mom, from my dad, from my brothers and sisters. But there's a slice of truth in talk is cheap. There's a slice of truth in that. Sometimes I wish my kids would show me they love me. Amen? Wish they would just do my commandments, the the father would tell us, right? You want to love, why don't you do my stuff? (laughs) Right? Quit telling me those words can come out so cheap sometimes. So I read this poem, I'll just share a line with you. It's called, it's by Edward Guess, I'm sure, it's an old poem. You guys have heard this. It's called Sermons We See. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. And fine counsel is confusing, but examples are always clear. I think that's the idea here, right? That's what Paul's saying in this example of of laboring for loving and having the effect of being a good example. Paul's saying, I didn't have to say anything. Talk can sometimes be cheap. And don't get me wrong. Don't stop telling people you love them. But equally as much, or maybe even more important, why don't you show them? And then mix in that word, love you, and make it be genuine. I think that's the the idea here, and that's the challenge here. That's the example for us to follow. And if you want to know whether we're maturing as Christians, if we're going to go back to the basics, It's a question we all need to ask ourselves, amen? We should ask ourselves, are we genuinely loving people? Are we having this thing called labor of love? And the last thing they had to hit on the spiritual trifecta, right? Faith, hope, and love. Let's go with the hope one, right? That's the last one. Check it out. They had an endurance of hope Steadfast endurance of hope, a perseverance of hope. It was a hope that kept them keeping on. That's what it did. They had a genuine hope that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming back at any day, and it might be today, and so that kept them hanging on in the face of stiff Christian persecution. Hope. This is my biblical definition of hope. Hope is a favorable and confident expectation that's imminent about the unseen future. Did you get that? Favorable and confident expectation that's imminent about the unseen future. It's out there in this thing tomorrow, tomorrow, future, right? We don't hope for stuff we see, right? We don't hope for stuff we are already eating, it's out in tomorrow, and that's the whole idea about it when you're getting pummeled in the present or getting dragged down by the past. Hope can just be that key that unlocks the prison because you can remove yourself and be in the most certain place with our Lord Jesus Christ. That, 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 that's what they're saying here. Romans chapter 8, verse 24 tells us we don't hope for stuff we, don't, we already have or that we see. Check this out. Romans chapter eight, verse 24, for in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with endurance. That's the whole idea of hope. And I've used this illustration before, but we have to get the right idea about hope. It's not something you have, it's not something you can see, it's something in the future that you don't, that you just know without a shadow of a doubt it's gonna happen and it could happen at any time. Right, it's imminent. It's the red store. I've told you the story about my kids before. We grew up in that Provo area and they had that old general store, they just called the red store because it was painted barn red. And after a day's work, I would always promise my boys that they could get one treat at the Red Store. And I always loved the drives to the Red Store with both of them back in their seats. And I just loved, just as a young father, I just loved listening to them talk about what they were gonna get at the Red Store. They were gonna get some sugar, right? And the brand, just talking about the new candies and the gum and all that stuff, (laughs) See, they knew dad was gonna deliver, because I'd done it before, and mom wasn't looking. So when we go there, we get them whatever they want, right? <sighs> you know what I noticed about the drive home after they had their sugary treats in their mouth? It was very quiet. They were hoping for something. They knew it was coming. They had confidence it was coming. It was happening, and we were almost there, and, and they had this anticipation. They had this expectation that was favorable and confident. But guess what? After they got it, they didn't hope anymore. They were enjoying the object of their hope. Amen? So that's the idea about hope. We have to understand that we really have to drill down and say it has to be imminent for it to really, it has to be an expectation that's imminent, that it could happen at any minute. That's the glory of hope. That's the power of hope. It's not like the scoffers of the old said, "Oh, Jesus, been saying He's been coming back for years." (sighs) He's been saying that for. They've been saying this for two thousand years. The chances of it being tomorrow, I'm going to do the math. Not very good. That's not the idea of hope. That's not what these guys had. They had a real imminent hope. And if you want the word picture for real, genuine imminent hope, it's the car seat in the back of a pregnant woman's car. That's what it is. I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, I got in our car and I was like, honey, what's that? And she's like nine months pregnant. She's like, seriously? (laughs) Oh, oh, the baby. And and, and, you know, if you've ever put a car seat in, you definitely don't wanna put that in when your wife's in labor. It takes a long time. It's very frustrating. So you put it in before. Because you are so confident that that baby's going to need somehow to get home. I was like, what in the world? Of course, what? What?" Turns out, wives are pretty clever. (laughs) Right? That's your word picture. Think about that for just a moment. Unborn baby. A lot of stuff can go wrong. There's no guarantees that some of us know in here. But that mama as a favorable, confident expectation, this could happen any day at this point, honey. We need to prepare for that. I wonder if we've ever thought about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ in this way. I wonder. I haven't in a long time. I'm just being straight up honest with you. These guys, and you know, this, these two epistles, the first and second Thessalonians, is one of the themes in this book is hope. There's a verse at the end of every chapter that references the return of our Lord Jesus Christ for his people. Read this, catch it. Every verse at the end of every chapter references that. This one is in verse 10. And they are waiting for the son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Faith, hope, and love. I wonder the last time We said one to another, you know what? It could be today. It could be today. And I remember when I was studying eschatology, the rapture, the second coming of Christ, and all those things, and trying to make up my mind where all this fit in there. I was studying this with a friend of mine. So this one's for Greg Chandler. Hey, Greg, wherever you're at, if you're here, it could be today, buddy. It could be today. Amen? It could be today. And if we handle the Lord's return like that, it might just unlock The absolute mess outside those doors for you, right? There's real stuff going on right now. Stuff that isn't made up. It's hard times for some people. You want to get out of that prison? Key could be hope about your certain future with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming for his people, amen? He's coming back for us, and it could be today. So we have an example set before us today, Right, in these Thessalonian believers, they'd not been saved a matter of weeks, maybe months. They were living the Christian life. They were maturing us. And their example is worth following. In this scripture and their example, sizing us up spiritually, asking us three simple questions. Do you have a faith that's working? Is it pointing you in a different direction than when it before you met it? Are you having a love that's causing you to sacrifice for others? Do you have a labor of love? And finally, do you have an endurance of hope? Because what I'm seeing right now in a lot of Christians, myself included, is I am down in the molly grubs. It's bad news. It's bad news. I can control that. I think if we focus in on faith, hope, and love, it might change our attitudes and perspectives for the better. Amen? We can have this world. This is nothing but an outpost. We're citizens of heaven who should be living spiritual truths like faith, hope, and love. Amen? Amen. So Father, thank you for the example you gave us in these young Christians. Thank you so much for the faith that you've given us. Thank you so much for the love that you've given us and the hope that you've given us. I pray that we would use it wisely and that it would change us. That we'd be changed people and rechanged if need be. Father, be with us in this endeavor, and we do it all through the power of your spirit. In your matchless name, amen. Amen, Amen, guys.